If y'all would, open your Bibles to the book of Psalm. We'll be looking at Psalm 8, verse 1. As you're turning there, how great and wonderful is God? Have you ever just sat back and thought about how great and wonderful he is how think about his you know his greatness and his majesty think about his glory think about his his holiness think about all that god has done for you and think about all that god has given you You know, words, you know, words that we can use sort of fail to describe God's greatness. They fail to describe His holiness. You know, they fail to describe His majesty and His excellency. And today what we're going to look at are six things Now, there are many, many other things in the Bible that describe God's majesty and and excellency, but we're going to look at just six things today that show His majesty and excellency. So, look at Psalm 8, verse 1. It's written, O Lord, 
our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the world, which hath set thy glory above the heavens. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, Lord, as we come before you today, I just ask your blessings upon the reading of your word. Just be with us today, Lord, as we worship together. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us today, that you would just overshadow us with your love and watch care. And again, Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you would just speak to their hearts today. And again, Lord, I just lift up those that are sick and shut in, those that cannot make it today, those that may be traveling. We just lift them up to you, Lord, and just ask your blessings upon them. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me today and just hide me behind the cross and let the words that are spoken be your words and just bind down Satan and let him have no part of this service. We just ask this in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in this psalm, David describes or he starts to describe the different things that show how excellent God is. And he starts off this psalm by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the world. So when you think about the name of God, it's the name above all names. It's excellent throughout all of the world. And then he adds to that, which has set thy glory above the heavens. When you think about the glory of God, the glory of God transcends all things. And after ascribing excellency to the name of God and then ascribing how God's glory is set even above all the heavens, David starts to break down different things God has done. And he starts to talk about creation and how, how God has ordained all things through creation. And if you think about creation, just think about how perfect creation is. How God has ordained how even the, the way the stars are aligned in the sky. He's ordained how far the moon is from the earth. He's ordained how far the earth is from the sun. He's ordained all of these different things when he created all things. And creation shows his, just his majesty and his glory, and David is praising all of these things. He's praising the works of God's hands and how God created all things. Because when you think about creation, they do. The acts of creation do show how great God is. And that's the first thing that we're going to look at that shows God's majesty and excellency. It's creation. If you turn back to Genesis 1.1, look at what it says. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Just think about what that one verse represents when we think about God. God created all things ex nihilo or out of nothing. He just spoke the word. And all things were created. But not only that, he orders all things. He sets them in order. 
but we also see in the Bible that through God all things subsist and, and, and stay created. It's God that holds all things together in creation. The act of creation shows us God's excellency and his majesty. Because it gives us an insight into his power. But when we start to break down the things that he's created, this will bring us to the second thing that shows us God's majesty and excellency, and it's something that he created. Now, I could have mentioned the flood and how the flood shows his majesty and excellency, but also his holiness and his justice. But I want to move past the flood of Noah and look at something that that we can see even today, and that's Israel. The Jewish people show us God's excellency and his majesty. If you look at Genesis 22 verse 18, look at what God tells Abraham. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. We see God give this promise to Abraham several times in the Old Testament that through Abraham the entire world would be blessed, but he also promised Abraham seed or descendants. Promising this to someone who was in his old age who had never had children. But God said that through Abraham, the earth would be blessed. And then what we have from Abraham is the Jewish people. And from the Jewish people, we have the Son of God coming, Jesus Christ, which was that fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that the entire world would be blessed through Abraham. But when we look at the Jewish people, think about something. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is a testimony to God's excellency. They are a testimony to God's majesty. Because when you look at the Jewish people, you see God's chosen people. You see a nation that God has protected. He has protected them. He has loved them. All through their history, God has protected them and loved them and kept them as his own, keeping a remnant when they would rebel against him, but even after they would rebel against him, he still loved them and protected them. And they are a people that are still around to this day. Think about that. Think about all the nations that are mentioned in the Bible, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, ancient Egypt, ancient Rome. Do they exist today? No, they don't exist today. Their culture is gone. 
The languages that they spoke are pretty much non-existent or not even used anymore except in, in scientific circles or in museums when you look at ancient Egypt and the Babylonians. But then think about the Jewish people. Their culture still exists. Those people still exist. Their nation is still there. It shows the power of God. They show the power and protection of God and through them it brings us to our third thing. That shows the majesty and excellency of God. And that is his law. And you might be wondering, well, how does the law of God show the power and the excellency and the majesty of God? Look at Leviticus 19.2. Look at what God tells Moses. He says, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. What does the law do? When you think about the law of God, what does it actually do? The law of God codifies sin. It tells us what sin is. It tells us what we should do and what we should not do. Basically, it tells us the things that we should avoid so that we can be holy. Because when, when Moses spoke this, or wrote it, when God told Moses what to write, and said, Speak unto all the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. The next thing that follows that is rules on how they were to be holy. Now you might be thinking, but Brother Jeff, we're under grace and not the law. Yes, that's true. Once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are under God's grace and not the law. Because through Jesus Christ, because he was the fulfillment of the law, we fulfill the law through him. Because it was impossible for us to fulfill it any other way. But, you know, when Christians say we're under grace and not the law, they fail to realize or they forget what Jesus Christ said. He said, I came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. The law is still there. And if you never receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be judged by the law. Because it's still there. It's still in existence. But even as Christians, we can still look to the law and learn from it. Because if you look through the letters of Paul, if you look through the letters of Peter, if you look through the letters of John, you're going to see parts of the law mentioned. You can turn to Acts 15 
And at the Jerusalem council, you can see what the leaders of the church said that the Gentiles needed to do. Keep themselves from uncleanliness. Keep themselves from fornication. Keep themselves from, you know, animals that have been strangled in these pagan sacrifices and and not to eat the blood with the meat. Those are the things the Gentiles were to do, but how do we keep ourselves from filthiness? The law tells us how to do that. Yes, once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're forgiven of our sins, and we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, and we're under God's grace and not the law, but the law still tells us how we can be holy. It tells us how we can avoid things that are sinful because it points out what is sinful. And if you think about what we should avoid as Christians, The things that we should avoid as a Christian are the things that would never bring honor and glory to the name of God. But the law points out how we can do that. Because through the law, we can also see the majesty and excellency of God. And the next thing that shows us the excellency and majesty of God is his son. It's his son, Jesus Christ. The gift of his son. And we can see this in something that John wrote. Look over at John chapter 1 verse 14. Now, if you look at John 1.1, you know, it talks about the Word or the Logos and it's talking about Jesus Christ. It says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. But then if you look at verse 14, look at what it says. It says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you think about Jesus Christ, when we look upon Jesus Christ, we are seeing God in the flesh. God manifested in the flesh. Looking in the face of Christ, we're looking in the face of God. He's the glory of God. And then when we look at the gift that God has given us through him, we see the excellency and majesty of God manifest. Why? Because it's the gift of God's love. I mean, did we do anything at all to merit the love of God? Did we do anything at all that God could show his or should show his love to us? Absolutely not. 
Because all we have to do is turn back to the book of Genesis and we just see how we fall into sin. And then if you look throughout the Bible, all the examples of the people listed in the Bible, what's their major failing? Sin. But if you think about something, Even when you look at Daniel, the prophet Daniel, and it talks about how Daniel was upright before God, and he's mentioned in other books where he was upright before God, he was still sinful. Because we're born sinful. But the gift of God's Son shows us the excellency and majesty of God because it is a gift of God's love. It's something that He didn't even have to do for us because of sin. Yet, He gives us His Son so that we can be reconciled to Him. But then if you think about how we get reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ, what had to happen? The Son of God had to die on the cross. Would we give one of our children to die for people who were evil? No. But God did that. It shows the excellency and majesty of God. It shows His great love towards us. But not only was Christ a gift of God's love, He was the perfect sacrifice for us. So when we think about Jesus Christ, we see the excellency and majesty of God and it's shown how Christ took our place on the cross. How He died for us when we didn't even deserve the love that God shown us through Him. Dying in our place so that we could have life and have it more abundantly, as Jesus says. And of course, the life he is talking about is eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his son for us, dying in our place when we did not deserve his love. That shows us the majesty and the excellency of God. Because it shows us his great love. But you know, the death of Christ brings us to our fifth point on what shows us the majesty and excellency of God. And that's the cross. Now, how could such a horrid device of execution show us the majesty and the excellency of God. Think about the cross. I want you to picture a cross in your mind. Now, what do you see when you think of a cross? When you're picturing it in your mind, do you see a Roman device of execution and torture? Do you see something that is ugly? 
or do you see something that is beautiful? Think about it. When I close my eyes and I think of a cross, I do not see something horrid and awful. I see something beautiful. Because the cross represents our salvation. That's why I see something beautiful. How could I see something ugly and horrible when such a wonderful thing happened upon it? That's how the cross shows us the majesty and excellency of God. Because it was the way in which he chose to offer his son for us. We see beauty in it because it represents our salvation. I mean, think about something. Turn over to Matthew 27 real quick. Look at verse 31. Thus when they had mocked him, they took the robe from him and put his own raiment on him and they led him away to crucify. So when we read about Jesus' death on the cross, the first thing that we see is that the Romans mocked him. We also see elsewhere where they scourged him. They beat him half to death. Then he was made to march with that cross, leading that cross on down the road to the place of execution, but he was so weak, someone else had to carry it for him. And then they nailed him to it and killed him. It's an ugly thing. Yet when we think about salvation and what took place upon it, it's beautiful because it shows us the excellency and majesty of God. The cross shows us these things because the Son of God shed His holy blood upon it to give us life. You know, we see God's excellency and majesty as we are shown the path of salvation. And that path of salvation goes through Jesus Christ as he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We see that path of salvation, but if you think about the path of salvation, it has to go to the cross. It has to go to his death. Yet it doesn't stop at his death. And that brings us to the last thing that shows us the excellency and majesty of God. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look over at Matthew 28, verse 6. The women have gotten to the tomb, and, and when they get to the tomb, the tomb is opened. And they see an angel standing there, and the angel says, He is not here, for he is risen as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord was laid. 
all that God has done for us, all that God has given us, all that God has blessed us with, culminates in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now what do I mean? Think about everything that we have looked at today. Creation. Israel. The law. The Son of God. The cross. And then think about all the other things in the Bible that show us the excellency and majesty of God. None of that would mean anything if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead. It wouldn't mean anything if Christ did not rise from the dead. Why? Because if Christ did not rise from the dead after his crucifixion, we would be without hope. So it would mean nothing to us because we would have no future. All we have, all we know, would mean nothing without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it would be meaningless to us. Yet Christ did rise from the dead. He was seen by over 500 people. It's one of the, the greatest attested facts in all of history. And because of that one act, we know all the promises of God are true. And we find hope, we find love, we find mercy we find life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of God's promises, His Word, His Gospel, all proven true by the resurrection. And that's why the resurrection shows His majesty and His excellency. Because from start to finish, we see the plan of God in action. The plan of salvation. We serve an excellent and majestic God, a creator, a friend, and someone who loves us when we're unlovable. And we see his excellency and his majesty through creation, through Israel, through the law, through his son, through the cross, and through the resurrection. And they also show his love and care that he has for us and the steps he took to show that love to us. Let's stand for prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, Lord, as we come before, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can just...
learn from it. And I just pray, Lord, that we would just take what we learned today and help us to apply it into our daily walk. And Lord, again, as we go into this time of invitation, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Just continue to be with us and overshadow us with your love and watch care. Just ask this in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.